right, we are back. We mentioned um, in our talk with Matt Kaplan a few weeks back about the excellent article by Emily Lakdawalla in Sky and Telescope magazine about um, the pummeling the planets the solar system took early in, uh, in our history. We recommend that article to you, along with Emily's interesting piece about uh, fascinating asteroids that are out there. She's going to have to redo that list, I think, in the wake of a long-sought but never-discovered type of asteroid, which was finally confirmed to exist this week. It's actually a pretty good-sized uh, chunk of rock, nearly a 1,000 feet across, reasonably close to Earth, being about 50 million miles away currently, but this asteroid, titled TK7, the Earth and the Sun kind of have an interesting dance they do in that the asteroid stays stable in its orbit about 60 degrees ahead of our planet. Most of the time, it's in the daylight. It's on the sun side of the Earth, making it tough to see. Now, another headline news this week in the wake of the ending of the space shuttle, uh, NASA's putting out a goal that we may want to send a crew out to visit an asteroid. Some of the asteroids that come close to the Earth would be good candidates. It wouldn't even take that much fuel to reach them. But apparently our newly discovered companion, TK7, is probably not going to be a good candidate because it orbits above and below the plane that our planet occupies, meaning that you got to use a lot of extra fuel to go visit it and come back. Now, several centuries ago, a brilliant mathematician named Lagrange calculated that there were five points in which one body orbiting another would have a stable position to which the third body could remain in motion in a relatively stable position. They're called the five Lagrangian points. The one known as L4 is 60 degrees ahead of the Earth. The one known as L5 is 60 degrees behind the Earth, or any other body we're talking about, like Jupiter. Uh, there are numerous asteroids which are in orbit... Uh, in sync at the Lagrangian points with Jupiter, both before and after, at the L4 and L5 positions. And it's kind of cool that uh, they've long thought that the Earth might have such a, a body um, in sync with us, and, and by God, there it is. In fact, scientists are so sure there may be others that they're calling it the first in a category known as Earth's Trojans. And they call it that, by the way, because the Trojan asteroids are ones that orbit ahead of Jupiter in orbit, whereas the Greek asteroids are a group that, or that orbits behind it. Apparently it's a common phenomenon. Neptune has, uh, has some asteroids in sync with it, as, uh, as does Mars. Anyway, you can bet we'll be talking more about that in the future as the, the data comes in. Uh, one thing I do want to express some skepticism about is that uh, in the wake of the end of the shuttle mission, they're now saying the race to the moon is on again and it's a private sector dash. This correspondent is highly skeptical that private industry is going to be, be able to build rockets big enough to put things in orbit around the Earth, let alone go to the moon. There's much talk of space tourism, shooting a rocket up, getting up above the Earth's atmosphere, coming back down again, like the suborbital flights of... Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom before we finally put a man in orbit with John Glenn. But uh, that takes a lot less energy than it does to put an object in orbit. And by the way, we and the Russians are now talking about how once we decommission the International Space Station, rather than let it be junk in space, they're going to crash it into the Pacific Ocean sometime this decade. Dr. Bill Wattenberg, who does a, a a great, a great survey of science topics on KGO. He's a little bit, a little bit conservative politically for uh, this correspondent, but he does an undeniably great job when it comes to science topics. Suggested uh, in the past that 
That much mass in Earth's orbit is something you should hang on to. It took a thousand pounds of fuel to get every pound that's up there in orbit. And, uh, you know, in case we need to deflect something that's going to hit the Earth, well, it's just nice to have some rocks up there in case we want to put them in the slingshot. So crashing the International Space Station in the Pacific seems like a really, really stupid idea. Strikes Mr. McMillan as rather David Letterman-esque, you know, tossing, <laughs> tossing some uh, watermelons off the tops of buildings to see how they splat. And finally, when it comes to space, and I guess that's our topic for the segment three today, uh, one final curious item, the mystery of the Pioneer anomaly has apparently been solved. Yes, in the 1970s, NASA launched the Pioneer 10 and 11 spacecraft, which went past uh, Jupiter and Saturn, I guess in the case of one of them, I think in the case of Pioneer 11. They've been tracked for decades. They're still out there heading toward the end of the, uh, uh, of the heliopause, where the solar system truly stops and where interstellar space begins. And uh, they noticed that they weren't where they were supposed to be. The spacecraft appear to be accelerating out toward the end of the solar system a little bit faster than they ought to. This has generated like hundreds, if not thousands, of scientific papers speculating on why that might be. Well, after some determined and, uh, and meticulous scientists dug out some old data tapes out of a dumpster, I think, in one case, and took a look at a year's worth of data for Pioneer 10 and 11, they concluded that what's happening is that the spacecraft's electrical generators, which rely on a plutonium isotope, were apparently radiating heat off into space, and that that was causing the speed to change ever so slightly. Apparently, previous data had suggested that uh, this, there was a, sort of a steady acceleration of the spacecraft, and now they've looked at it more carefully and concluded that no, the effect is weakening with time, and that's what you would expect if the cause was the heat being generated by the plutonium-driven generator. So people seem pretty satisfied they have figured this out, so congratulations to Slava Turyashev of Pasadena's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We do hope that Matt Kaplan can spring us into the party they're going to have for VestaFest next month. In the two minutes we have left, uh, we do not have time to speak with KDVS's own Elisa Howe, but I would quote from Sacktown Magazine, its current issue about the best of the city, referring to Sacramento in the broad sense, of course, including the suburbs such as Davis. Headline was, radio station that's really dialed in. Note of the article, the radio show podcast, Phoning It In, seeks high art in decidedly lo-fi places. Not only do up-and-coming bands call in from around the country to chat and to play some tunes, but they play into the phone. Notes the article. Seriously. Into the phone. It's as free-form and obscure in its music and subject matter as it could be, and yet it all transforms into something splendid. The result is broadcast Monday nights on UC Davis's KDVS at 90.3 FM. It's commensurately low in fidelity and turns every band's performance into kind of threadbare folk music adding that subsequent MP3 compressions and distribution as a podcast just furthers the sonic decay. But even the lowest of lo-fi has standards, however, and according to the show's current host, Elisa Howe, I try and tell artists it definitely has to be a landline with a cord. Cordless phones pick up interference. 
and I've never experimented with cell phones. That's a no-no. Anyway, congratulations to Elisa for her experimenting here at KDVS, which is what community radio stations do so well, isn't it? And we'll see if we can't talk to Elisa about these efforts uh, next week's show. We have apparently about one minute left, so I think I'll pull out some more quotes from the garage. Such as one from Dave Barry, who said, You can only be young once, but you can always be immature. Or author Bernard Bailey, who said, When they discover the center of the universe, a lot of people will be disappointed to discover that they are not it. And finally, one which I am certain is near and dear to the heart of Mr. McMillan, According to the immortal Samuel Johnson, quote, a cucumber should be well-sliced, dressed with pepper and vinegar, and then thrown out. And yes, whenever we dine at a Thai restaurant, I always get Mr. McMillan's cucumbers. And this program was, by the way, produced cucumber-free by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Will Durst and our good friend Rick Anderson, general manager up at KZFR. We hope a lot of people will travel up to help celebrate their 21st anniversary bash with them. This has been Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. At which time we hope we'll be speaking with Professor Don Subner, professor of geology at UC Davis, who co-chaired the landing site working group for the Mars Science Laboratory mission to pick where NASA is going to put down, which, in case you're keeping score, is going to be the Gale Crater near the Martian equator. Cool stuff, and we hope to speak with Dr. Sumner about it. We'll see you then.